0: Uh, I think what I've also seen very predominantly in the veteran community is they tend to hire more veterans and military spouses, but also they are very active in the philanthropic areas, and, and you continually see them giving back to the communities uh, in, a, in a large portion of ways that uh, I haven't seen in some of the other uh, corporations, diverse or non-diverse out in there. I, I still really think that the veteran community still values that service—you know, service to nation, service to community, uh, and service to the—you the, know, the military where they came from.
1: Welcome to Breaking Barriers, Building a Higher Ground, where we talk about supply chain inclusion and supplier diversity with everyone from academics, historians, and business leaders. With your hosts, Chloe Guidry-Reed and Adam Moore, you'll hear inspiring stories and practical tips for overcoming challenges and gaining insight into supply chain inclusion and supplier diversity. Let's dive in. We'd also like to thank TechCXO for its sponsorship of this podcast. Get proven hands-on C-suite executives to take on an interim role and provide fractional help and lead projects. TechCXO on-demand executive model consistently delivers time and cost savings of 50 to 75% compared to a full-time in-house function. They have helped their clients secure over $4 billion in debt and equity financing and have advised clients on over 200 transactions, including due diligence preparation, And financing alternatives. To learn more, please visit their website at TechCXO.com. All right. Thank you again for joining us for Breaking Barriers, Building a Higher Ground. Today, we have the pleasure of speaking with Mr. Wayne Shanks from USAA. Thank you so much for joining us, Wayne.
0: It's my pleasure.
1: So, to kind of tell the audience a little bit about who you are and a little bit about USAA.
0: Yeah, sure. So uh, in Wayne Shanks, I lead our supplier diversity program here at USAA. I'm an uh, Army veteran. I spent almost three decades in the Army and transitioned out. Uh, I felt very fortunate to uh, have landed here in USAA in this particular role because who we are, who our company is, I feel like I'm still able to advocate for our veterans and our military families. So mm-hmm. if you're not familiar with USAA, it's uh, financial services for military and their families, Uh, veterans and uh, basically banking, life and health, and then property and casualty. We have approximately 35,000 employees, almost 13 million members uh, anywhere where the military is. That's uh, where we are.
1: All right. Well, and you forgot to mention one of the most important things. You're located in San Antonio, which is one mm-hmm. of the best cities in the US, given <laughs> that I grew up there. So yes. Uh, yeah, so we're yeah
0: headquartered here in San Antonio. Yes. But we do have uh, regional offices in uh, Phoenix, Colorado Springs, Chesapeake, Virginia and Tampa. And those are predominantly call center operations. So if you're familiar with our business model, uh, we're all centralized. We don't have uh, brick and mortar branches and those types of things. So all of mm-hmm. our members interact with us typically over digital channels are uh, on the phone.
1: Very, very nice. So since everything is centralized, can you talk to us a little bit about the type of opportunities that anyone from USAA might come to you and come to your team with in terms of trying to find suppliers?
0: Yeah, I I mean, it's anything like you would expect any other Fortune 100, you know, company to come with. We have a a wide variety of uh, both on the banking side with, you know, financials and and the risk and compliance. uh, And then in property and casualty, uh, we only do personal lines, so it's not commercial so it's really uh, house repair, you know if you have a hailstorm or you know hurricanes and those types of things, all of the things that are associated with that. plus auto repair. Uh, So, you know, those are the main pieces of it. Now, those are both worked on an aggregate level uh, within, you know, supply and demand within the areas of where you have that. But then you have all of the other pieces. And that's really where I predominantly focus in is all of the other things that you stitch everything together. You know, the IT, the security, the HR, you know, all the marketing, all of those types of things. That's where we predominantly have uh, opportunities.
2: So, Wayne, I know that we've talked about this a few times mm-hmm. and in the kind of the insurance portion of the financial vertical, what are some of the areas that you're having difficulties finding suppliers mm-hmm. in? That seems to be um, a question that we talk about a, a few times and our audience would probably like to learn a little bit more uh, about where where, you're, where there is opportunity that you don't see any.
0: Yeah, I think um, we struggle just with um, smaller businesses and in, in, uh, not bringing them in, but having them compete for um, opportunities because of the regulatory requirements that uh, we we find ourselves in, because a lot of it spills over from the financial uh, aspect of it with the regulators from the Fed and OFCCP and those types of things. It spills over into some of the insurance side of it. Uh, so when we were looking for a new supplier, I mean, we're going to look, very hard in due diligence in you know, information security, what's their financial stability, you know, the capacity to increase, you know, to serve a large, you know, national membership. Those are some of the things that, you know, make a challenge when we have maybe a supplier that's local, regional. Um, that wants to come in. And, and so those are some of the things that we have. So I think if, you know, a long answer to that question, some of the, the harder areas to find is somebody that has those type of capabilities that still meets a lot of the diversity attributes that we're looking for. So And, you know, just to address that, so we look at uh, minorities, uh, women, uh, veterans, and of course, service disabled veterans, uh, LGBT, and uh, persons with disabilities. But since we are who we are, we tend to focus in to the military space uh, first. And uh, really uh, interested to see the uh, recent movement within military spouses, um, entrepreneurs out there growing in the sector, because I think as an employment, traditional employment standpoint, military spouses are a vastly underserved community.
1: That is a very interesting point. I didn't even really think about that. And we definitely want to support our military spouses, um, just given that they are allowing their spouses to, to serve our nation and protect our liberties and freedoms. So that is something that I don't think that we think about all the time.
2: Yeah, no, I know that that's a very interesting perspective on that. And Wayne, let's just take just a moment to kind of talk about some of those regulatory a lot in the banking uh, sector. But um, what are some of the, have you seen any sort of creative ways or partnerships, strategic partnerships, maybe that some of these smaller suppliers have entered into that have been successful to help them navigate some of those uh, kind of tricky regulatory requirements that are out there. Uh, We call them the gotchas sometimes when we start doing Mm -hmm. the negotiations.
0: Yeah, especially in the, you know, the IT uh, infrastructure kind of things. The way I've seen is uh, taking on maybe a larger firm, you know, some of the the well-known brand names out there in the IT area as like a MSP for uh, information security. So that, you know, you're relying on somebody that's very proven in the area to provide that information security where you may not have the capacity to do that. Because as we've discussed before, you, know, you touch our data, data is our commodity, uh, and we are going to be very protective of that, and we're going to expect anybody in the supply chain to do that likewise.
1: Right, right. One of the things that I have thought about, because yes, it, it not only do some of these suppliers, small businesses not have some of these things, but it's also very costly to get some of you know, these requirements uh, completed. Has there been, you know, in the financial vertical, and of course, Adam, I'm sure you can answer this as well. Has there been any talk around potentially partnering with some of your larger sort of tier one suppliers who may have these credentials and these, you know, um, all these requirements already worked out and then potentially, I mean, I don't know how that would work, but just sort of, you know, thinking out loud around maybe some creative solutions that we could kind of come up with that doesn't necessarily leave them out of the equation, but kind of Mm -hmm. helps them get access to some of these opportunities in a creative way. Yeah,
0: I mean, I know that other firms have done, you know, joint ventures and building that up. I don't think our program is as mature uh, enough to where we've gone down that particular road. So just as a kind of a history piece of it, we started this probably about seven years ago. So I think we're still you know, relatively young in the place. And we started as a veteran and military spouse hiring advocacy role to our larger suppliers, uh, trying to get them to do the same types of things that we were doing internally, because we knew we couldn't uh, address the you know the veteran military spouse uh, unemployment rates at that particular time and it was very well received and as we saw that we wanted to continue to move down that road because entrepreneurship is a viable pathway for employment and really that was the whole genesis uh, of our program but you know as we've seen it and we kind of continue to build out uh, those parameters trying to you know increase those opportunities and so I think short of, you know, a partnership in um, joint venture areas, we're looking at our larger supply chain to include more diverse businesses in their operations. And so I think that's probably the pathway we're going to have in, in, at least in the near term, uh, but continuing looking across the the enterprise for, uh, you know, opportunities for uh, diverse businesses. And not all diverse businesses are small. We have some very, very capable Diverse businesses in our supply chain, and they're—I mean—they're barnstorming. In fact, um, one that we had that was—it was a better-known business that was doing great things in our fraud uh, area and, and stuff. Unfortunately, they got too big, and he took on some equity, and so now he's no longer a majority ownership. So he doesn't quite. Cut the veteran owned anything, but it's still the same business, still the same philosophy, still the same culture, and and attributes for us. So I mean that's a success story. Unfortunately, I can't count him in my numbers anymore.
2: Yeah, that that that's always kind of the double edged sword in our space, isn't it? Right. We we work with these suppliers and we build them up and we think it's great, and all of a sudden you turn around and you're like oh. You just got too big. <laughs> you know, it's, it's one of those things where you help them and you, and you almost write yourself out of spend. But talk to us a little bit, Wayne. I, I think it's fascinating. And, and first of all, um, I know you and I have talked about this before. I wanted to thank you again for your service to our country, uh, from one veteran to another. And I really appreciate. Thank you yes, so much. Thank both
1: you. Both of you. Both of you. Thank, thank you. you. Talk to us a little bit about some
2: of the advantages, you know, to uh, some of the supplier diversity professionals uh, out there that are listening to our podcast. Uh, talk to us a little bit about some of the the, the pros about using a uh, veteran-owned firm. You know, there's a definitely a different mindset, um, maybe even a little different work ethic, not to say that all of our suppliers aren't hard workers, uh, but I think uh, some of that has, you know, transitioned out definitely comes with a little bit uh, different background, maybe than somebody straight out of college or straight out of the corporate world. So talk to us a little bit about some of those advantages, some of the pros you've seen uh, in reaching in, into our veteran communities and uh, finding the diverse suppliers out there.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, with USAA, it's really easy because you see a value alignment very clearly uh, because of what the military trains and indoctrinates into everybody. But as you said, you know, they will do what they say they do. They, you know, they will show up on time and and deliver on time for the most part. I mean, everybody has struggles, you know, on different types of things. But uh, I think what I've also seen very predominantly in the veteran community is they tend to hire more veterans and military spouses, but also they are very active in the philanthropic areas, and and you continually see them giving back to the communities uh, in a a large portion of ways that uh, I haven't seen in some of the other uh, corporations, diverse or non-diverse, out there. I, I still really think that the veteran community still values that service, you know, service to nation, service to community, uh, in service to the, the, you know, the military, where they came from.
2: Mm -hmm. Excellent.
0: Those are, those are fantastic points. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I do feel like just the nature of who our military veterans are, that they are very, very civic and community minded. So that makes 100% sense. Um, and rightfully so when you, um, you know, for our suppliers that are listening, that may be veteran owned, um, what are some of the ways that USAA markets to try to find new veteran-owned suppliers? Where should these suppliers be in order to find these opportunities that, that you may have?
0: You need to call me. No, I mean uh, email. Me. <laughs> we don't want everyone flooding
1: you. So Ooh. yes.
0: Well, I, I am an army of for. one. Yeah, I know. <laughs> within the procurement department, but since we are, um, in the technical term, is a reciprocal insurance exchange. So we're not a public corporation. We're not a government entity. Uh, so we don't publicize uh, you know, procurement opportunities out there. So really, it's relationship building. And I'm kind of like a front door, an introduction. to, you know, tell me what you got, tell me the value that you can bring, how can you make things, you know, faster, quicker, cheaper, better for our membership. And then, you know, I work within The procurement processes within the lines of business to try to make introductions and then see where their opportunities come down. But I think we're probably typical, you know, probably about a three year uh, cycle. So it's not, you know, you call me one day and we're going to have a contract signed the next day. It's a long term process, you know, it takes probably several months. I, I remember working with one uh, minority um, business that it was probably a year from our initial discussions till the time, you know, we brought them in on board. Like the, the due diligence is uh, quite extensive, depending on what the nature of the contract is. And it can take uh, quite some time to complete all of that.
1: I think that that is such a good point to to just sort of echo is that, you know, a lot of small businesses, because they move, you know, like speedboats, think that a lot of the organizations that they're working with um, should move at that same pace and get very, very, very impatient and tend to reach out to the corporations and, you know, we should know something within the month. And, you know, if you're looking at these opportunities, I think it's important to note that, you know, it's not your time schedule, it's the company that you're trying to work with, and you need to work within their time schedule. But also just having awareness around what that is and making sure that they ask, you know, what the timelines are around these various opportunities is critical.
0: Yeah, on that uh, analogy with the boat, you know, we're more like a Aircraft carrier, (laughs) cruise ship. Yes, yes, yes. Turn very quickly. So I call
2: banks battleships. So yeah, it's a very similar, uh, very similar analogy. You know, it comes back to something Chloe and I have talked about, and that is suppliers need to understand the why, right? Why do I want to pursue USAA as a potential Mm -hmm. business partner? And understanding that if I'm going to put, you know, Wayne on my target list uh, as a supplier. It's a 36, 12 to 36 month sales cycle. And I better have the uh, ability to sustain that sales cycle. And again, that needs to come into that whole mm-hmm. why that, that we've talked about several times.
0: Yeah. And, and especially experience in the financial services sector is, is really key because you've worked with other counterparts in the area, you know, some of the, you know, compliance routines that are out there. And, you know, it's also, you know, it's kind of like when you're doing government contracting, you know, past performance things still matters within you know the private sector
1: yeah absolutely absolutely we'd like to thank
0: the university of georgia supply chain advisory board
2: for sponsoring breaking barriers building a higher ground
1: in addition to ensuring
2: the uga supply chain curriculum meets employers needs the board also connects employers with highly qualified students join corporate board members like johnson and johnson home depot and the chick-fil-a to discover and hire tomorrow's supply chain innovators today To learn more, go to www.terry.uga.edu, click on alumni and find the supply chain advisory board there.
1: So when a supplier comes and, you know, is meeting you for the first time and you're preparing to then maybe go talk to some category managers or department heads, what is most useful? Like a, a deck? Should they have a deck? Should they have a one pager? Obviously, they can talk to you over the phone, but it's hard for you to just, you know, regurgitate that a million times. How should they properly prepare to present themselves to you?
0: Well, I mean, you know, the value proposition, however you want to correctly prepare that is, you know, up to the business. You know, I think uh, within from the military, we just get tired of PowerPoints. Uh, you know, it's death by PowerPoint. Don't send something that's 50 pages long. There, Nobody is ever going to read that. If you've got something that's really crisp, four to six pages you might be able to fit that on a, you know, a one pager. Um, you know, um, I don't think that capability statements are really that valuable, especially, you know, you list all of NAICS codes on one side and, you know, other stuff that really doesn't tell you what you can do for us. And so, you know, a little bit of research on what we have done, you know, some of the needs that we might have, some of maybe some of the struggles that they could come in and solve for us. I would much rather have, you know, a one paragraph email telling me, you know, what is the thing that you can do to help me uh, and then have some, you know, other stuff behind it. That's really the the best way. You know, and I think, you know, doing supplier introductions, we do those, you know, all the day, every week, um, you know, a general overview, but then really hone in to what are those specific areas that you can really work with. And you know, everywhere across the financial services, you're going to see risk and compliance come back up over and over and over.
1: So. Mm-hmm. I think that's such a good point to note, just customize your, your pitch or your value proposition and that you need to more so focus on value creation as opposed to I do this.
2: Yeah, I think most definitely it, it's all about value creation, right? I mean, I think uh, we in corporate understand that uh, inter, uh, entrepreneurs can do just about anything you ask them, right? And, and they're more than willing to do anything you ask them. And, and like we said, they're the speedboat. They're not the, uh, you know, the battleship or the carriers out there in the water. Um, but to Wayne's point, you, you need to be able to know what you do well right? Don't worry about your other revenue streams. Pitch that one revenue stream, that value proposition to the corporate. And then your other revenue streams, the other things you do, your ancillary products and services will come to light as your um, relationship kind of blossoms inside that corporation. So, you know, it's the old adage, too much truth can kill a man. So understand what you do well, get in the door with that one or two core services, and then look to expand your product line inside.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Wayne, one of the other things that I wanted to ask you, supplier diversity, you know, it looks very different in every organization. So you mentioned earlier, you're a team of one. I assume you sit in the procurement um, team. So do you follow the suppliers through the whole life cycle until, you know, they, so let's say, you know, you make an introduction for them and they decide, yes, I like this solution. Do you continue to be a champion for them? How do you, how, what? What's your involvement post that introduction?
0: Yeah, I mean, so we try to, as much as we can, you know, help them along, you know, make those introductions. But really, once the sourcing decisions are made in the lines of business, Uh, and so, you know, then the procurement actions happen back in, you know, within the procurement shop where I you know, sit. So we're kind of a conduit out there. Now, I I definitely will track and monitor them and and am always open uh, for conversations. Say, hey, we haven't, you know, seen anything on that. And then, you know, let me come in and kind of check on it from, you know, that aspect of it. So uh, I guess um, bandwidth, I keep saying Wayne is not scalable. And it's, you know, it, so it's, it's, you know, out and across there, but we have, you know, hundreds of, uh, you know, category managers and uh, procurement managers throughout the lines of business. And, you know, it's th- they know their business the best. Uh, I kind of have a general knowledge of all of their requirements. And, you know, when I see somebody, okay, we've got, you know, a woman-owned uh, production company, I know who to go to over in marketing and say, okay, is this something that's interesting for you? So,
1: so when they get back to the procurement process and they say, you know, we want to work with this person, we're going to put them through uh, working with you guys and they come back, where do you see suppliers getting hung up at that process of, you know, during the contracting phase, if any place?
0: Yeah. I mean, it, it depends on how much they want to, you know, redline the terms and conditions. I mean, cause you know, our, our contracts are, you know, gone over by legal teams for, you know, years and they're quite complex. Uh, so, you know, um, and it really depends on the scope, you know, of the service too. You know, if we can just push it to a purchase order, that's a much, you know, more streamlined process. Um, but then again, I think it's, it's the due diligence requirements um, based on whatever it is, especially if you're touching, you know, our data, you know, the IT piece is going to be very time consuming and, and quite thorough. Uh, then again, if you're providing you know, just a, a product or something for that, then it's probably much less.
1: Right, 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 right. I think that's important to note too. Purchase order versus going through contracting and the due diligence around the two of those and contracting can, I mean, I've seen that hold up deals for months. So yeah, I think that that's very important for some of these suppliers to know.
0: And I do know that our, so our position is a little bit different um just because of the entity that we are so there's probably some more peculiarities based on the you know, the insurance reciprocal exchange than you wouldn't see in an LLC or other types of things. So there may be some things that they haven't seen before. Um, But, you know, we're just trying to get the best value for, you know, our members. And that's not necessarily the lowest price. It's, you know, how how can you bring, you know, value to, as I said before, you know, better, faster, cheaper for that, you know, do you have an innovative solution, um, you know, that can help us within the businesses that we have?
2: So if there's a, a small business, small diverse business out there right now is listening to us and like, man, I really would like to do business with USA. I want to partner with them. What's the one or two things that you think a small business needs to do to prepare for that initial conversation with USAA, be it you or one of your service managers, LOB managers, but what is something they can do to kind of prep themselves to set them apart from competitors in their same space?
0: Yeah, I, I think it's the, the values alignment, um, you know, with us. And, and we always look at uh, veteran and military spouse hiring uh, practices from, you know, any of our suppliers that are out there. And then, um, you know, if they are doing other things within the community, those are um, also good to highlight, but again, it's going to come down to the value that you're going to bring to the business. And uh I, said, I always say be patient and be, you know, persistent because it's going to take a while. It, unfortunately, we don't move as fast as we would like to. And uh, it's relationship building. Like you said, they're, when they're the speedboat, the nimble, agile, we like those attributes with them because they can, you know, do things differently that some other larger suppliers can't do. But they also have to be patient with us because we're like those other larger suppliers, you know, that it takes us a while to get to it.
1: So when you think about 2021 um, and just, you know, given the pandemic, has that shifted any of of USAA's priorities or um, sort of opportunities that they may look at across their supply chain and supplier base?
0: Um, well i mean obviously you know we're all ready to push 2020 back behind us and you know covid has changed everything you know so you know within march you know 98 percent of our workforce went home and you know we're we're probably not going to go back to the office you know anytime soon uh, so that's obviously changed some types of things but the products and services that we provide really hasn't changed that much you know we still have a centralized uh, procurement op- uh, operation um, but you know one thing that I do think uh, has really taken on from you know the corporate side of the house is um, how we've addressed it from our corporate responsibility the philanthropic uh, areas. I mean you know to date we've uh, donated I think forty-seven million to nonprofits, and that's kind of our strategy is working through nonprofits that can add those uh, services. But really you know looking at support to the communities, um, you know employment. Uh, especially ones that are helping in military families, uh, but in, in also we look at uh, supporting. Um, sorry. Uh, ones that help specifically in the veteran entrepreneurial space. So Patriot Boot Camp, Bunker Labs, the Rosie Network, um, Institute for Veterans and Military Families, those organizations are working to help support the veteran and military spouse businesses, you know, across the lanes. And I think our support to them has increased, you know, through these uh, trying times, because we know that there's a lot of businesses that have been impacted. Uh, And I think you've seen a lot of that mainly in the service you know sector which is not something that is a large portion of our supply chain so I, I guess it really hasn't changed that much other than uh, a whole elect le- whole heck of a lot more remote working so so do you think that,
2: you know, I think that's an interesting point that a lot of us have seen in, in the corporate side, you know, a massive shift from on-site to off-site work. Uh, in moving forward, do you think that's going to be a hindrance or a help to our small and diverse businesses that are out there? That You know, they're going to have to understand that, you know, it's it's not going to be a, a handshake at the first meeting. It's going to be a Zoom call, a Teams meeting. And then, uh, you know, all the one-on-ones, you know, like when we did that with the NMSDC and, and other organizations, they're all virtual now, too. And there's several different platforms that are being used. But do you see that this this shift, um, whether it is, you know, we're gonna be doing this again in twenty twenty one or it's a hybrid, whatever the approach is, I'm you know, we're still gonna be doing some of it next year. But do you think that the move to virtual is a help or a hindrance to our diverse owned firms?
0: I, I actually hope that it's a help. I mean, you uh, cause um I I see a lot more interactions. Uh, It's much easier to jump on a Zoom call than to get on a plane and go across the country and, you know, and talking about resources for a small business too. You know, if you plane ticket, hotel, rental car, or Uber, you know, whatever it is to get to there to make that face-to-face meeting. Yes, we all want to get back to -to face-to-face. Maybe it's a fist bump and not a handshake, but, you know, who knows? Um, I see, at least from a personal standpoint, I'm able to do a lot more uh, interactions than I have. Had been able to do in the past.
1: Yes, Adam and I were talking about that because you just you're able to just get things done so quickly because arguably, I mean, we get we're getting two, some of us, three hours added onto our day because of, <laughs> we just lose the commute. I we, know. I'm loving know, the
0: commute. Right.
1: <laughs> right. Right. From the bed to the office, you know, it's like a flight of stairs. So I mean, right. there's there's just um I think when you think about driving efficiency, so that but but you miss that sort of at least for me that connection where you're able to kind of get to know each other. I feel like sometimes Zoom meetings, if it's an hour, people are like, "Let's get right down to business." And here's this, and here's that, and you know, oh, we're at time, and you know, it's just. People are very, very, and so you just don't get a chance to sometimes really, really connect um, like, we, like, like we used to. But um, what would be your suggestion for some of these suppliers who are struggling with sort of networking with these corporations and, you know, find it difficult to, to connect with someone via Zoom?
0: Yeah, I mean, that's a that's an interesting challenge because, you know, I think we're going to be in the Zoom world for, you know, probably at least through the first quarter, probably longer than that. And then, yeah. And, and you know, we, we can only hope that, you know, we have the you know vaccine and all of the, you know, docs are pointing us out. And I think it's going to get worse before it gets better. So, you know, stay Stay safe, stay, you know, well, and you know, you have to, you know, maintain those types of things. So I think work within our virtual world as we have it, uh, but plan forward to um those relationships that we can uh conduct, you know, you know, maybe this time next year we'll all be in Tampa or something. Who knows? <laughs> Not Chicago this time of year. Tampa, no. Phoenix, somewhere yeah. south. Yes. Yeah. Heard somewhere something about south.
2: Miami, so that would be amazing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Miami sounds great because today in Atlanta it is so cold. It was like thirty one last night. So um warm weather would be ideal. I,
0: I always say that I like my water in its liquid state, not frozen. <laughs>
1: Exactly, exactly. Well, we have heard it first from Wayne, value creation is key Mm -hmm. to connecting and establishing valuable relationships and making a meaningful connection. Any parting words that you have, Wayne, that you want to share or any advice to either corporations that are looking to jumpstart their programs or suppliers who are looking to do business and connect Mm -hmm. in this new virtual world? Yeah, well,
0: um, not specifically on that, but one thing I did want to bring up that I thought was just very, very enlightening and and very encouraging was uh, the NGLCC's, you know, uh, working with the National Business Inclusion Consortium. So they brought together you know, the Unity Conference, which I never thought would happen so you had, you know, 10 of our diverse business organizations all coming together. I think that pathway forward is going to be such a huge impact for those of us in the supplier diversity world where you can go to, you know, one entity or one, you know, area and then you can have access to, you know, multiple different demographics of, you know, suppliers that work into those things. And I think, you know, the collaboration across The corporations and across of the nonprofit advocacy organizations, if that continues to grow, will will remain very powerful, and I I think we could, you know, overcome almost anything with that type of movement behind us.
1: I agree 100%. I, I saw that as well. And I was just thinking, you know, collaboration is key to success in any company, any organization, in any industry. So very excited to see that because there's so much that can come of it. And just the transparency across the different organizations will just add so much value to to everyone that's involved in in creating this pathway for supplier diversity. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Well, thank you again so much, Wayne. We appreciate you joining us today. It was awesome to talk to you again.
0: Likewise, you know, Adam, Chloe, y'all take care. Again, stay well. Everybody else that's out there, stay well. We will get through this and come out better on the other end.
1: Sounds good.
0: Excellent. Thank you again.